scripture this morning is Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 17. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is, has already been, and what will be, has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that Paulette just read talks about time. I know how many of you in your mind were breaking out in the 1970s bird song, turn, 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 but many of us for the first time or many times that was our first exposure to that scripture and perhaps what makes it one of the more famous aspects of uh, Ecclesiastes or passages in Ecclesiastes. But what Solomon in this passage is talking about is time. Time. The time that passes, the time we try and save, the time we're given, the time we wish we had. Time. It's something in our world and in our society that, as Pastor Brian preached earlier this year, we often treat as a commodity. We think we can bank it, save it, keep it, but really it just keeps flowing by. We think we can grab it in our hands and we finally think we have control of it and it slips through our fingers day by day. We get older Whether we want to or not, as time passes by, things change in our bodies, in our minds. Things that used to work don't work as well. Things that were easy sometimes become a little more challenging. I remember this one story I read about these two old guys who were walking beside a lake one day and they came upon a the edge of the lake and there was this frog and one guy picked it up and it was a particularly ugly frog. He was staring at this frog and its ugliness. And he was about to put it back down and then the frog spoke to him. He said, hey, mister, don't put me back. He said, I'm not a frog. 
said, I'm a princess. And if you will kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful princess and do anything you want. Man stuck the frog in his pocket and kept walking. A little while later, the two are walking and the guy finally says to his friend, so he says, so you're going to kiss it? And he says, nah, at my age, I think I'll have more fun with a talking frog. <laughs> time. Time passes. We get older and we try to stop the passage of the sands of time, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Many people will spend all kinds of money trying to, quote-unquote, save time. Trying to keep from wasting time. I read this week, uh, I was reading this week an article about an airport in New York. Now, if you have flown to New York, uh, you probably, like I have, have either flown into Kennedy, LaGuardia, maybe Islip, if you're going along island. You probably not have flown into Teterboro Airport, uh, maybe not even heard of Teterboro Airport, though it's the oldest airport in New York. Teterboro Airport started in 1919. The distinction about Teterboro Airport is it's a private airport. And what's kept at Teterboro Airport are private jets of the wealthy in New York. They hang about 200 jets there. People like Ralph Lauren and Bill Cosby and hedge fund managers from Wall Street. And they keep their jets there. And as I was reading this article, this one man said the, uh, the reason for it, he said, is the beauty of it is I can leave New York City at 5 o'clock. I can be on my, at the airport at 5.30 and I can be having dinner in Palm Beach at 8 o'clock. And the whole argument behind it, now sure, I'm sure they like the plushness of their plane and the power and all that goes with it. But if you ask them why own a plane, the usual answer that these guys gave in the article was time. Time. I, they don't want to waste time with TSA checks and commercial airlines. And they don't want to worry about whether they're, they can get a flight to the place in the time they want or whether it'll be delayed by some reason or another. They want to get on the plane. They want to go because their time is valuable. So they will spend 30, 50, 70, 100 million dollars on a Gulfstream or a Learjet in order to save time. Because time is valuable. Time is something no one can buy more of. There's a company developing a supersonic jet. We haven't seen uh, passenger supersonic jet travel for 10 years since the Concorde was retired. But there's a company developing a passenger jet for people to go at supersonic speeds. Why? To save time. So you can get to London in three and a half hours instead of six hours. And a bunch of people have plunked down a quarter of a million dollars for the chance of getting one of these supersonic jets. Because we live in a world that values time. Values time. I think a wise person considers the time that they're given. I think a wise person takes time to think about our time. It's the fool who just goes through life and spends no amount of thinking at all about the time that we have. 
one inventor who wanted to depict this idea that time is constantly slipping away in Cambridge, England. He developed something called the Corpus Clock. And this is what it looks like in Cambridge, England, the Corpus Clock. It's an actual clock, even though it doesn't have hands on it. You can see it's got these ripples. He wanted the idea to be like ripples in the water kind of going out from the center. And then it has this grasshopper on the top he calls the chronophage. And chronophage is two Greek words, chronos meaning time and phage meaning eat. He is the time eater. And these blue lights go around the the corpus clock. You can kind of make them out three blue lights, one for second, one for minutes, one for hours. And the second, every second, it, it goes around quickly. But then every 60 seconds, the grasshopper gobbles up that minute. He is the time eater. And the man who invented it said he wanted to illustrate very clearly that time is constantly racing away from us and being eaten up all the time. And so this clock sits in Cambridge, uh, England, as a constant reminder that you cannot hold back the hands of time, even if they don't have any hands. It's not the interesting thing about it. It's not a digital clock. There's no electronics in it. It's completely mechanical. And the legs of the grasshopper actually cause the gears to go and turn the clock. And these lights, these LED lights light up and. And we see the hands or time slipping by. Solomon didn't have a corpus clock to consider, but he did consider time. As he was considering the meaning of life, he could not look past this, this reality that we all live in time, even if, as was just read, God said eternity in our hearts, we still live within the confines of time. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, he gives us four observations, four truths, four principles, four realities of time. The first three, I think anybody would agree with, whether you're a Christian or not. You may be in here and you're a Christ follower, or maybe you're not. I think you'll agree with these first three truths that Solomon gives regarding time. The fourth one really answers the question of, does our time matter? And looking at the first three, the fourth one kind of answers this question of, in light of these three, does our time matter? And if you are not a Christian, my hope is that you will see this fourth truth of time. But let's look at these first three, first of all. The first three truths of time that Solomon sees that exist. And the first truth is this. That our time is seasonal. That's the best word I could come up for it because that's the word he uses in chapter 3, verse 1. He says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Solomon looked at time and he looked at life and he said the reality is it's seasonal. It changes. It's constantly moving. Uh, Just like our hope and prayer is that this winter will one one day give way to spring. And spring to summer. That is our hope and our prayer. It has happened before. I'm hoping it happens again. The reality is these changes come, whether you want them or not. The seasons change. And Solomon says, for everything, a season comes and it comes and it goes. 
And so there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And the reality is that none of them last forever, but all of them come eventually. And that's the way life is. It's amazing to me the depths and heights of human emotions that we experience. I see this especially as a pastor. Uh, One day, it can be the same day, I might be in a hospital praying with someone who's ready to spend their last days on this earth. And sometimes on that very same day, sometimes even in that very same hospital, you go to another room and there's a couple celebrating the birth of their baby and the gift of life. And it's just one of the uniquenesses of being a pastor that you see these, the, these ends of life all together, sometimes in the very same day. And we go through these times where maybe you lost someone you love or the tragedy struck your family. And you get down in these times of mourning and grief and loss. And you may think, I'll never get past this. But what Solomon realizes and what the teacher realizes is that's not true. When time passes and space is there, there'll be a time when you'll experience a happy thought, a joy, a laugh. And one day you may dance. And he says, this is the seasons of life. And if you're in a time when you are happy and joyful, there'll be a time when you may mourn and grieve. But these are the way this is the way time works. I think there's something very hopeful in this passage. I think there's something very hopeful, especially if you are walking through a difficult time to recognize that seasons come and seasons change and none of them last forever. That you can walk through a difficulty and trust that one day the page will turn and that God's grace will shine and God's sun will shine on your face. And you will experience the blessing and love and and hope and joy again. And that's the hope that there is in this. But he says, you know, the reality of time is that seasons come and seasons go and things change. My wife and I have a a little saying in our house that kind of keeps us. Uh, keeps us grounded in times like this when it, you go through a time of difficulty and, or a time of grieving. And the saying is this, you know, it's, it's just for now, not forever. Right? And that, and that can be covered. That's what, that's what the teacher, that's what Solomon's saying here. It's just for now, it's not forever. There'll be things in your life that you'll walk through. And it'll be just for now, but it's not Forever. And that can be comforting. But it's a reality, whether you want it or not, that there's time is seasonal. The second thing about time is this. Time is under God's sovereignty. That God is in control of time. Now, you may be in here and you heard what I said at the beginning. You said, wait a second. You said, if I'm not a Christian, I would agree with these. And I don't even know if there's a God. So how am I supposed to agree with that one? I think you would at least agree with the statement that time is out of our control even if you don't agree with the statement that it's God who is in control. We don't control time. You did not pick the day on the calendar when you would be born. You will not pick the day when you will die. 
It's in God's control, that God is sovereign. So the writer, uh, Solomon writes, he said, he has made everything beautiful in its time. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been. Whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Not always that encouraging of a scripture. You read that and you say, well, what's the point? God's in control. But I think there is encouragement even in this scripture, knowing that God's in control and God is sovereign. Because what this scripture says is that he, God does it so that men will revere him. Or your scripture might say so that men will fear him. Fear, we sometimes think of as a negative thing. But the Bible says fear is a positive thing. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of God is where wisdom and understanding begins. And if we can have the fear of God, we can begin to understand the things of God. So the second thing about time Solomon recognized is that it's out of his control that God is sovereign. The third thing about time that Solomon recognized is this. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. Our time on this earth is short. Our time on this earth is short. We don't like to think of that. But you think of all that have come before you, those that will come behind you. You live in a very, very, very thin slice of time. Should you have 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years, maybe 80, maybe 90, still a very, very, very thin slice of time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. We have this desire to know more, but we live in this small slice of time. We don't know where it began. We don't know where it ended. We just live in this small slice of time. James in the Bible, uh, the disciple of Jesus, he said this. He said, your life is like a vapor. And that illustration, that word picture is really helpful for us and on a day like this, because what that means, vapor is like your life is like that breath you breathe out on a cold winter's day. You can see it in front of you and almost feel like you can grab it, but it's gone. And it's never to be remembered again. I don't know about you, but I have never really sat around and had conversations and said, remember that great breath I took? Remember, remember that great breath I breathed? Right? We've never had those conversations because we forget about it. It's gone. It's here and it's gone. And the writer, James is saying, your life is like that. It's here and it's gone. And you have an extremely short amount of time. And within two, three generations at most, no one will remember your name. Not even the people closest to you. It's a psalm that says, your time is short. You don't have that long of a time. He looked at his life and he realized that he didn't have much time. So time is seasonal, comes and goes. Time is in God's control and time is short. So what's the point? Live your 50 years, have a good time, enjoy it. 
and then you're gone. We have trouble in our world sometimes even dealing with the fact, with the realities of the worldview that our world tries to hold, that this world is all there is. Our world has trouble even processing the fact because they want to believe that there's no God so they don't have any authority over them. So they want to believe that they don't have a God to answer to. So they try and live their life to it. But then you come to these things like the end of life and the end of death and you say, is that really it? If life under the sun is all there is, then there's no meaning and no point to it. So we come up with ideas. I heard a show on NPR last week when they were talking about death. And one person said, said, I think death will be beautiful because when I die, my ashes will be scattered in my front yard and provide fertilizer for the tree in my front yard. And I just find that to be a beautiful thought. And you might think, well, that sounds, you might think that sounds beautiful. You might think that sounds foolish. But either way, they had to find a way to deal with death. Had to find a way to, to how am I going to deal with this fact that I will not exist anymore? And the thought was, well, maybe I can bring life to something else, but the reality is you're dead. And so they, we try and find ways in our world to deal with death. People don't like to face it. You noticed, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems like less and less people go to funerals, and when they go, they spend less and less time there. We don't like to think about death. In fact, I heard about one funeral home in South Carolina. They, they, you know, they know this reality. So they, what they thought of, they're going to start a coffee shop in their funeral home. So they just make it more comfortable. We'll start a coffee shop in the funeral home. And, and they'll, they'll, they, that's, that was their solution. I've, I've not been to a funeral home that has a coffee shop. In fact, in Massachusetts, we have laws against that. But, but that was their idea. They're going to they're gonna start a coffee shop in their funeral home. What was interesting about it, the most comical part of the piece, was they took, uh, they did like a, a, a contest to name the coffee shop in the funeral home. You want to hear some of the names? <laughs> These are some of the names that came in for the coffee shop in the funeral home. If you think of starting one. The Grim Roaster. Uh, the Last Cup. Decoffinated. My personal favorite, Purgatory. This one I really like, Still Above Grounds Cafe. And the one that actually won first place. I don't know if they actually named it this, but this was the best entry they gave. The one that won first place was Time to Meet Your Mocha. And they make us laugh, and they should because it's, it's comical. But the whole idea behind it is no one wants to deal with death. No one wants to think about the seriousness of it. No one wants to think about our own mortality. But we all know it's coming. But we all know life is short. So it doesn't matter what we do with the time we have. The fourth point about time is this. Time is eternally significant. What you do with the time you have has eternal significance. See, that's what it comes down to. You and I have this thin, thin slice of time here under the sun. But what you and I do with it has eternal significance to life after our life under the sun. Many people live their lives under the premise of nobody lives forever. 
You've heard people say it. I've heard people say it. And they live their life. Hey, nobody lives forever, man. Go for it. Go for the gusto. Get everything you can out of life. Suck all the marrow out of life. Do it because nobody lives forever. Seize today. Carpe diem. Get, get all you can. Have all the pleasure you can because, hey, nobody lives forever. You've heard people say it. I've heard people say it. But what if you approached him and what if you said, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? In fact, what if the exact opposite is true? What if everybody lives forever? What if everybody lives forever? And what if everybody lives forever either in a place called heaven with God, with his love, in his presence? Or what if everybody lives forever in a part away from God called hell in a place of pain? What if everybody lives forever in one place or another? What if that's the reality? And you say, well, I'm not sure I believe in all that. You're staking eternity on your unsureness. It's something worth exploring because our short time under the sun is very short compared to eternity. The Bible says it does matter what we do with our time here. I'm going to jump to the Matthew passage, John. Jump down to Matthew, one of the last slides. The Matthew, Matthew says this, Matthew 6, 34. Talks about giving. This is just one passage I picked out because it uses the exact, uh, the term reward. And it talks about our rewards. Jesus said, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what you do with your life here on earth, with your time you are given, somehow has an eternal significance to God in heaven and to your life after this. So what you and I do or don't do with our time here matters to God. It has significance. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 17 says, God will call all things into judgments. The righteous and the wicked. God will call all things into judgment. So what you and I do here does matter. Yes, seasons come and seasons go. Yes, many things are out of our control. Yes, our life is short. But somehow God has decided that in the short life you and I live between the cradle and the grave, what we do will have eternal significance. Because God chooses and he says he rewards and many people, they don't like to look at that. And they say, well, I don't like to think about the rewards because then you're going to work. I'm just, the Bible talks about it. That's all. Jesus said it. Jesus said that live your life in such a way that you store up treasure in heaven so that God will reward you. That your treasure's not on this earth, but that your treasure's in heaven. But there's certainly another thing that's more, even of greater significance And that is the fact that Jesus came in time. Jesus came to this earth in time. Jump to the Galatians verse there, John. Galatians chapter 4 says this. But when the time had fully come, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. That's what we gather around this table for to remember that Jesus came in time. 
And he came for a purpose. Romans uh, chapter 5 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's the message of the gospel. That Jesus left his place of power and glory, living outside of time with no restrictions, infinite in every way. And he came and subjected himself to this world in the bounds of time and space and all of that and lived his life so that the ungodly could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And so that you and I living in time could be saved. And Paul goes on in Corinthians, to put it this way, to talk about our responsibility. He says, as God's fellow workers, what are we to do in time? As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Now is the time and the day of God's salvation. I don't know if you've taken the step to follow Jesus and make him Lord of your life or if you've thought much about it. But here's what the Bible teaches. That that decision made today, in time, has eternal significance and consequence to you and to me. That that's the way God has chosen to work. That there is a step of faith that is taken to put your faith and trust in God. And that if you and I will do that in faith, in time, trusting in Jesus, that we will be given salvation from the things that we have done against God. Salvation from our sins. He says it again this way in the next scripture. Matt, wasn't there one more? No, I guess that was it. I'm sorry, that was the last one. I didn't put the one in I said. But the, uh, we can see it in that one as well. Just put First Corinthians, Second Corinthians back on there. Today is the day of salvation. And so the question becomes... Will you choose to serve God? What will you choose to do with your time? Let me close with one story of a man um, you may or may not have heard of. His name is William Borden. William Borden lived from 1887 to 1913, not a very long life. He had the chance to be very wealthy. He was heir to the Borden uh, family dairy fortune. He was a millionaire by 21 years old, but he renounced all of the money, gave it away to missions. His goal was to become a missionary to Muslims in China. So he left to do that. On his way, he stopped in Egypt to uh, learn Arabic. And he stayed there in Egypt to learn Arabic for a little while, but while in Egypt, contracted spinal meningitis and died at 25 years old. Today in Egypt, there's a gravestone there. It's really in a garbage dump. Not many people remember it. But Randy Alcorn, who went to visit it, saw it. He, he saw the gravestone and he saw what was written on the bottom of it. And he, writes, he wrote down the inscription that ended on the end of the gravestone. And the inscription ended with this. 
Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. I thought that's interesting. Dead at 25 years old, gave away his millions, goes to Egypt, gets sick and dies. But apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. And there really isn't. Because otherwise, keep the fortune, keep the money, enjoy every day of your life. Just don't go to, don't go someplace where you might get sick. Don't risk your life. Enjoy, if life under the sun is all there is, then there's no explanation. Then this life was foolish. But if it's true that there's a God who rewards, and if it's true that there is an eternity and we all live forever and we will spend it either with God in God's presence in heaven or apart from Him in a place called hell that is full of pain and punishment, then that life makes perfect sense as he follows God's will. I don't know the author who said it, but I think it holds true. The statement that in the end, everyone gets what they want. In the end, everyone gets what they want. If you choose to reject God and reject Jesus and reject Christ, in the end, God allows you to have that choice for eternity. Apart from Him, apart from His presence, apart from His love forever. If you choose to accept His offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, to humble yourself and to follow Him, and in faith to put your trust in Him and walk in His presence daily in the end, that's what you get. Eternity in His presence forever. And so today is the day of salvation. And so I ask you this morning, in this moment, in time, have you made that decision to follow Jesus? Because we've been talking through Ecclesiastes and we've looked at all the things that Solomon says are meaningless. We've looked at pleasure. We've looked at work. We'll look at other things. Time and trying to keep it and manage it. But in the end, what you do with this decision about Jesus is what determines eternity. So I challenge you, I encourage you, I implore you that you have not made that decision. Today's the best day of any to make that decision to follow Jesus. It's not hard. Jesus did all the hard work. And maybe, maybe you've said, well, you know, God couldn't love me. If you knew what I did, you wouldn't even be offering the invitation. The scripture we just read said Jesus at the right time died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly. He didn't die for the perfect people because there aren't any. He died for the ungodly. He died so that your sins can be forgiven. He knew what he knows what you did and he offers you salvation anyway. And that's what we remember at this table. Christ's cross and his offer of salvation. Would you pray with me as we close out our service and enter a time of communion? And as we pray, I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just take a moment with just you and God. Because one day that's all there will be.
One day at the end of the time on this earth, that's all there will be. Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then comes the judgment. People sitting beside you won't be there. I won't be there as your pastor. Your spouse won't be there. Your parents won't be there. One day it's you and God. And so I ask you just to take these few moments, closing your eyes and just kind of finding that sacred space with you in your own heart. And search your heart. And if you have not made that commitment to follow Jesus, I'll just tell you this morning, God sent His Son to die for you so that you would make that commitment. He said His will is that none should perish. None should perish. His will is that none would go to hell, but that all would accept His offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. Will you in time, accept this offer of salvation that He gives you and that He offers you. It's not hard to do. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved from your sins. And so there's no secret words. It's your mouth. It's your heart. It's your seat. It's where you are. And would you at this moment take the time to say, God, I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to extend your grace to me and I will live my life with you as my Lord. It's a simple prayer to pray. But it's not easy because what it means is you give your life to him. You no longer live for yourself. You take yourself off the throne of your life and you live for him. And if that's your heart and your desire, I just want to give you a couple moments in this sacred space just to pray those prayer, that prayer in your heart and in your mind. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we trust you today. We recognize that we cannot save ourselves. We recognize that time and life and many things that we think we control, we actually don't. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the salvation he offers. We ask your forgiveness for our sins and that you would be the Lord of our life and help us to live for you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for those in this room who are already followers of Christ. Lord, we have been given this time on this earth to be stewards of and to use it for you. Would you teach us to use it wisely? Would you teach us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves? To live a life that pleases you such that one day when we do come into your presence and it's just us and you, that we would hear those words we'd long to hear. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal reward. Father, we long to hear those words. And so we live our life in faith, trusting you, using our time for you. In Jesus' name, amen.